Well, we had a fantastic week here at Calvary. This was creation week. I'm sure most of you knew that if you had children or teenagers or young adults in your family because we uh, had three nights of tremendous teaching on creation. We promised you, if you recall, at the start of the year that uh, we were going to put some uh, more emphasis on the uh, teaching of Genesis and particularly Genesis as history. We've made a commitment to you as pastoral staff that we were going to teach your children the truths of God's word in Genesis to counteract a worldview that has effectively ignored God. And so uh, it was just a great week. We had Creation Truth Ministries here from Oklahoma. Matt and his group did a fantastic job. We had some really, really cool creatures here as well. Well, they're, they're dead, but they were... They were, they were, one time they were alive, but they are, they were cooler when they were dead, to be honest. I'm not sure that being alive with things that have teeth that are this big was, was a great thing. But anyway, this is a fantastic week. Hey, are you guys awake? Like, this is spring, man. This is, it's sunny out. I know, you know, we've been like, we've been like reptiles all winter long, just sort of, hanging around, just waiting for the summer to come, waiting for spring. Now we've got some warm weather going. God is great. He's our good, good father, isn't he? We love him. Uh, I was looking out at you this morning just thinking how much I love you. I'm so grateful to God for such a great congregation of people. And uh, so it's just a great day. And we're so glad to be here. Well, I, I have a, I always look forward to the assignment of teaching you doctrine, as you know. And uh, these truths are so critical to our understanding of who God is and what we have in God. The, the cause of our celebration today, the, the reason that we, we are here to, to celebrate in particular the Lord's table soon is because of what Christ has done for us. And it's cause for great celebration and great joy. And I, I hope today in the, in the lesson that we have today, it will, will uh, generate within you an, another uh, sense of how awesomely blessed we are by our great God. Before we do that, let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to, to recognize the immensity of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. I pray, O oh Lord, that it will cause great celebration to stir up in our hearts because that's what it's meant to do. And I pray, Father, that uh, we will be even more convinced of your great love for us the uh, amazing grace toward us, how blessed we are, and Lord, um, how much we owe to you for your incredible love through Jesus Christ to us uh, who are here today, and the privilege of hearing your word. P perhaps someone's here today, Lord, never heard this before. Uh, this is the first time they've heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So I pray that hearts would be open and minds would be open and lives would be changed. Lord, for all of us, whenever we look into the Word of God, it changes us. The Word of God actually transforms us. We will all be transformed today from glory to glory because of your Word to us. So help us to approach it with that anticipation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, there are four possible effects that religion has on people. It either makes you proud or it makes you humble. 
It either makes you secure or it makes you insecure, depending on the religious orientation with which you camp. It has everything to do with your understanding of the grace of God. For these past four Sundays, and now the fifth, we've been talking to you about the the reality of our salvation and and how we have received it from from God, from Almighty God. We learned in the first week of this, this smaller section in our discipleship process, we learned of the grace of God. The grace of God is the unmerited favor of God toward us. It is God's love toward us, God's favor on us because of nothing that we have done. No merit of ourselves whatsoever. It's entirely, or, or it isn't grace. If, if there's any inkling of anything that we have contributed to anything, it, it, it ruins the definition of grace. It's not grace. Grace is the favor of God upon you for no reason of your own at all. Important to remember that. Then we learned about redemption. We learned that that the price of our salvation had to be perfect blood. The payment to buy us out of the slavery of sin. We were enslaved and there was no way out. Enslaved and therefore subject to punishment, subject to eternal punishment, eternal death, no way out, unless perfect blood was shed, was paid for us. That's what redemption is. Then we learned about, well, we had a little break there for Easter, and we learned about resurrection. That's another whole great reality of our salvation. We learned that because Christ was raised from the dead, that God might be all in all, we who are part of his salvation plan will also likewise be raised to resurrection bodies forever and ever and ever. We learned that at Easter Sunday. And then we learned about justification last week, being declared righteous, declared by the living God, not because we presented to him any righteousness of our own, because the righteousness, our self-righteousness could never, ever count for God. He had to gift us his righteousness and then declare us righteous. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's amazing that God would take a gift of righteousness, give it to us, and then say, you're declared righteous. Today, I mean, it just continues to build into the amazing reality. Today, we're going to look at adoption. We're going to look at what it means to be actually brought into the family of God, graced us with his love, redeemed us by the blood of Christ, declared us righteous by his righteousness, gave us the, his righteousness, and now to ju- call, calling us therefore justified, and now to be certain that we are secure in who we are and what we have, he brings us into his family. He says, I'm going to look after you in my family our good, good fathers. I'm not leaving you out there anymore in the family of the world. That was messing you up. I'm bringing you into my family and I'm going to superintend the good transforming work of God in your life by giving you the Holy Spirit. 
This is, this is blow your mind stuff. It's, un, it's unbelievable what God has done for us because we are so helpless, so in need, so desperate, so hurt, so harmed, so insecure, so weak. And he so loved us. Now that we've been declared righteous, graced by God, redeemed by Christ, fasten your seatbelts. Because today we're talking about how the Lord causes you to experience security. The intention of God for us is not to be proud, because how could we be? We brought nothing to this. And not to be insecure, that's, a, that's an affront to God for us to walk around and being insecure about our relationship with God. Why would anybody want to have anything to do with Christianity with people walking around, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I'm okay or not. I don't know if I've done enough or not. I don't know if I'm good enough or not. Why would I want to have anything to do with that? He wants us to be secure. He wants us to be humble and secure. And it's not just a dream of God's. He makes it happen for us. This is what we're going to show you today. This is how God makes us secure. You, if you came in here this morning insecure about your situation with God... I pray that you will leave 100% secure, settled, confident, excited, sitting on top of the world with your feet dangling. You've been listening. (laughs) That's the intention here. So um, join with me on a few texts, and then we're going to settle in at Romans 8. But I just want to, first of all, look at... um, the time gets away from us so quickly here. Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1 verse 5 in particular is unbelievable. Ephesians 1 verse 5, and then we're going to go back to Galatians 4, 4, and then we're going to go back to Romans 8. Just keep going back um, book by book here and then settle in Romans 8. Look at, look at Ephesians 1, 5. It starts really, the sentence is really odd the way this is separated, Verse 5 starts at he, when in fact, it starts in love, in verse 4. In love, he, God, predestined us, purposed in advance, predetermined to be, beloved, please, please will you let the Bible teach you? Will you please? Not your past, not anything. Let the Bible teach you. My opinion doesn't matter. God's word matters. Please, God's word matters. In love, hang on every word. In love, God predestined or predetermined you to be adopted. There's our word. 
Uh, literally placed as a son. Women don't get upset about that. It's just the Greek word. But you count. You're in. As his sons. It's like he placed us as sons as his sons. It's like a, it's a double emphasis. Unbelievable. I guess so we won't miss it. Through Jesus Christ, not of ourselves, in accordance with our will, our, our desire. No, his pleasure and will. Because God wanted to. Because he wanted to. It gave him pleasure to do this. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one Christ he loves. Any questions? Okay, that's it. Mic drop. <laughs> Galatians 4. Are you sitting there saying, I've never seen that before. But, Galatians 4, 4. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. Why? Because we had to have someone who would perfectly represent the law, this perfect son of God, that he might die on our behalf, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Women, you're included. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. That's the closest you get to asking Jesus into your heart. You'll not find that in the Bible anywhere, okay? It's not a great term to teach your kids, asking Jesus into your heart. You're not finding that in the Bible anywhere. God places the spirit of his son in believers. That's the truth. The spirit who calls out, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son, and since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. We've been given the full rights of sons. We've been adopted into the family of God. Now, let's go back to Romans. Romans chapter 8. This is our text for this morning. Got to skip Corinthians and go back to Romans 8. Romans 8, chapter 9, or verse 9, right through to verse 17. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature. He's talking to Christians now. Graced by God, redeemed by Christ, declared righteous. So he's talking to. You're controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. Now, this is what we're talking about security today. How do I know? Look, if God is the one who's declared me righteous, he's made a declaration of righteousness over me, how do I know he did that? There's evidence. Today, we're talking evidence. If he did that, he also adopted you into his family and gave you a divine trainer the Holy Spirit, who brings change in your life. There's evidence, and we're going to look at the evidence today. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. 
If this stuff isn't true of you today, you're fooling yourself if you think you're a Christian. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sistren, we have an obligation Do you realize that? You have an obligation. I have an obligation today. Here's our obligation. It is not to the sinful nature, the way we used to live. We have no obligation to that anymore, to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How do you know? We're going to look at that. You know. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of God to us this morning. Okay. So we're going to go through some things rather quickly, and then we're going to camp a little bit on, on something here. We're talking about experiencing the security of our salvation today through the concept in the word of God called adoption. What that means, what that looks like. What we have here in verses 9 through 11 is um, God's gift to us, a reminder of what we received at salvation and the gift that God has given to us. He has declared us righteous in terms of status and makes certain that we grow in righteousness by adopting us into his family. This is what we're looking at here this morning. So God's gift, the gift of God's righteousness is superintended by the gift of God's spirit. He declares us righteous, gives us his righteousness, and now superintends our lives so that our position is righteous. He superintends our lives by giving us the spirit of God so that our practice will be righteous. Our position is already declared righteous. Now our practice is to be righteous by the Holy Spirit and His work in our life. That's what we're talking about here. Every true Christian gets the Spirit of Christ, indwelling presence of Jesus. Within our dying bodies, it says here, although your bodies are dying, your body is dead, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Salvation caused our spirit which was dead to the things of God to come fully alive. That's what salvation is. We couldn't respond to God. We had no sense of of, of an awareness of God or an interest in God or a willingness to obey God because our our, our, our spirit was dead. But that's been made alive. Our bodies are still dying because of sin. Every breath we took since we were a baby, was a breath towards our death. I don't want to get morbid on you here on this nice spring day, but 
I'm sorry, that's just the way it is. And some of us are closer than others to drawing our last breath. That's because the wages of sin is death. We are dying. But our spirit at salvation has, made, has been made to come fully alive in God. Fully alive in Christ. That's what's happened. And our dead bodies, the promise here is if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, when our body does die at the resurrection, this same spirit will give life to us in new resurrection bodies for all eternity in the same way as Christ is the first fruits that proved that already. That's all, this, that's all 9 through 11 is really getting at. Our dead bodies will be brought, brought to life. So I don't want to take too much time there because I want to talk about our obligation. I want to talk about our security. I want to talk about how we can know that we are secure, that we have the Spirit of God in us. There is a kind of life that leads to death. That was the life we were leading before Christ. There's a kind of life that leads to death. But now we are taught in the Scriptures that there's a kind of death that leads to a certain kind of life. And the reason I call it a certain kind of life is because we've been talking about a certain kind. This whole series is about a certain kind. We're talking about a certain kind of life. A life in the spirit. A life animated and, and, and uh, motivated and brought alive by the Holy Spirit of God. The life that, that causes us to come in here this morning and... and, and um, and, and, and allow our, our lives to, to speak forth songs, to praise God, to, to experience all there is in the life in Christ. That's what I'm talking about. This new life in the Spirit. And, and Paul says here, you have an obligation because of all that God has done for you. God has no obligation to you. God owes you nothing. He's already given you everything, but you have an obligation to benefit from all that God has given to you, not to squander it, not to waste it, but to fully experience it, to fully benefit from it. That's what he's talking about here. That's our obligation, to live this certain kind of death, which means dying to self, that I might come alive in Christ. There's one uh, evangelical pastor who President Donald Trump takes a lot of his advice from, unfortunately, who said that anyone who tells you that you should deny yourself is Satan. I wonder if she hasn't read her Bible. It was Jesus who said, we are to deny ourselves. There's a certain kind of death that brings a certain kind of life. That's what we're talking about here. Now, this idea of adoption, just so you know, the placing of a son, I've got a, 
a prop this morning, a little object lesson for you to help you to understand adoption. <laughs> Got a baby here today. Let's call him, oh, I don't know, Patrice. Now, um, Patrice is going to stand in for all of us here this morning. This is you before Jesus. You know, people say, well, no, I, I, uh, I uh, brought myself into the family of God. This is you, won't drop them from too high, before Jesus. Adoption, so it's like, so Patrice, would you like to adopt God as your father? Are we expecting him to get up and say, yes, I'd like to have God as my father. <laughs> Please, I'd like to accept Jesus as my Savior. It's not how it works. The only way Patrice could come into the family of God is if the father would place the child in his family, regenerating him, causing him to come alive in Jesus and serve him all the days of his life. Here, Mark, look after Patrice. <laughs> you can trust Mark with your babies. Did you see how well he caught that baby? <laughs> Let me just give you a quick rundown of Paul's choice to use this word huiotheos, the placing of a son. He used a term, a Roman legal term, for adoption. You got lawyers or judges in the audience that like this stuff. In, Roman, in the Roman system of adoption, which Paul is writing to the Romans, yes? And he's using this term to describe the theology of our adoption. In the, the Roman system, the Roman law system, adoption was a very complex issue, but very, very full of powerful meaning. The father in a Roman home was called the patria potestas, the patria potestas. Jordan, I am the patria potestas. Don't you forget it. And the father was the patria potestas until the day of his death. The father, the patriarch, was in charge of the family, the Roman family. Uh, unchallenged charge. Okay? Now, Paul's using this to describe the, the reality of, our, uh, of, of divine teaching here. And the children were at the absolute disposal of the father, the absolute control of the Roman fa father, had power over their life, absolute power over their lives. 
in the, in the matter of adoption, there were two steps that the patria potestas had to go through. The first step was if, if, if the father decided to allow his child to be adopted into another family, right? There were two steps that had to take place. The one was called mancipatio, whereby there was a symbolic sale made three times to the prospective adopter. This sale, we make a sale of the child to the one who wanted to adopt the child, and, and then he would buy him back. He would do that for a second time. He would make the offer, and the child would be the, there would be an exchange of money, and then he would buy him back. Then for a third time, he would offer the child, and the child would not be purchased back. That was the first step. The second step, which, by the way, there were witnesses to this. There was a legal court proceeding. It was called the ceremony of the vindicatio, where we get our words emancipation and vindication. The adopting father presented a legal case for transferring the person to the new family, the new patria potestas. Now, once that happened... Once these legal proceedings took place, the consequences were this. That person lost all rights to their old family and gained all rights to the new family, legally. Legally, they gained a new father who was now sovereign supreme over their lives until his death. They were heir to the new father's estate, equally divided along with the other sons, who may have been the natural sons, co-heirs. Thirdly, they were legal, their, legally, their old life was wiped out. All former debts were canceled, regarded as a new person completely and a new life. Are you getting this? Are you hearing this? Is this sounding like something you know? Fourthly, in the eyes of the law, they were absolutely the son of his new father. That's you and me. That's you and me in salvation. That's what describes us. And there are four quick things, and I've got... Two minutes to deal with them. And we can do it. We can do it. Put to death. Here, here's, what, here's what people who actually know the Lord do. This is, what, this is what gives us our confidence that we've been declared righteous. This is our obligation. Not of our own strength, by the way, but because the Holy Spirit of God has moved into our lives. This is our obligation. This is what we can do. One. We can put to death the misdeeds of the body. We can stop sinning. Those who are led by the Spirit will put to death the misdeeds of the body. The thing that was for, things that were formerly killing you, you will put these to death. It says right here, here, notice in the text, verse 13, 
For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, if being led by the Spirit, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And because you are led by the Spirit of God, you are sons of God. That's what legitimizes that you put to death sin, legitimizes that you've been declared righteous. Okay, if you're looking for evidence... It legitimizes. Say, well, I, I can't do it. I, I can't forgive. Excuse me? In your old life, you couldn't forgive. That's true. You were a slave to that. In your new life, you won't forgive. You can forgive. You won't forgive. And you know why you won't forgive? Because it feels so good making someone punished all the time. It just makes you feel better. If, if that person who's hurt you and you don't forgive them and you keep pounding away at them, you somehow have a, some sense of satisfaction. So it's not you can't forgive, it's you won't forgive. Those who actually belong to Christ put to death the misdeeds of the body. The things that were killing you, you put to death. Second, look at verse 14. Sorry, verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. You trade your fear of God's judgment for freedom to approach God. We used to live afraid of God. The world lives afraid of God. The world is piecing him off, paying him off, doing good things, trying to somehow earn, earn their rights with God, somehow hoping they're good enough. They're afraid of him. We're not afraid of God. We're not afraid of judgment. We've been brought into the family of our father. The only time I was ever afraid of my father is when I was sinning. Our sins have been forgiven. We're, we're, we're freed before God. We have no fear of judgment. If you have the spirit of God living, if you've been brought into the family of God, you don't live in fear anymore. You just don't. That's the second evidence. Third, verse 16, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. This is how the Spirit of God testifies to us that we belong to God. Our inclination is to pray to him and call him our Father. By the way, I don't want to crush your little thing about daddy and all that, but this isn't daddy, okay? This is just father, father. This is father in Hebrew, father in Greek. That's what this is. It's Abba, Patria, Abba Pater, excuse me, Abba Pater. This is, was Jesus' way of encompassing the Jews and the Gentiles. I'll talk Hebrew and I'll talk Greek. I'll talk to my heavenly father in two different languages. Father, father. Jesus could have done it three times and put English in there. Abba, Pater, Father. Or whatever other language you might want to throw in there. That's what this is. It's our inclination. Jesus popularized a new way of talking to God. It was not normal practice for them then to call him Father. Jesus said, this is, hey, my brothers, my sisters, this is, what, this is the way we get to talk to him now. We talk to him as father because he loves us. He's adopted us. He's, we're his children. He's brought us into his family. He wants to hear from us. Talk to him. Our inclination, if we have the spirit of God in us, 
is to want to talk to our Father all the time. That's how the Holy Spirit testifies to our spirit that we actually belong to Him. If you don't want anything to do with the Heavenly Father, if you, if you don't go to Him, if, you, if your tendency isn't to turn to Him, oh, Father, help me, if that isn't the way you are, then maybe you're not in the family. Because family people talk to the Father. Family people want to run to the Father. Family people love that, that Jesus intimatized the word uh, referencing God. And we use it. We run to it. That's the third piece of evidence. And the fourth is this. If indeed, verse 17, we share in his sufferings, we will share in his glory. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ are also part of the family of Christ. Sometimes what the devil wants to do when stuff is coming on you and you're feeling really beat up, you're suffering and being rejected and all that kind of stuff, he wants to whisper in your ear, you know why that's happening to you? Because God doesn't love you and you're not really in his family. Paul throws this in here to remind us that a part of being in the family of God means, guess what? We get treated like Jesus got treated. You want to be his brother? You're going to get treated like him. Don't despair about this. Do <laughs> you see how he frames this? He says, hey, you know what? You're sharing in his glory. You're sharing in his sufferings. You're sharing in his sufferings now. You're sharing in his glory for all eternity. That's what you get. You're a co-heir with Christ. You get all of the blessings of God. Four markers that testify, evidence for you to feel secure in your salvation. Those declared righteous are indwelt by the Holy Spirit and adopted by God into his family to enjoy all the rights, responsibilities, and privileges as children of God. Is that not great stuff? Amen. Father, we thank you so much. You are so good to us. We love you so much. We thank you that you've left nothing to chance at all. Brought us into your family to look after us, to superintend us, to make sure that our status as righteous is practiced in our lives. So, Father, we praise you. We thank you. We thank you for salvation. We thank you that first to last, it, it's all about you, none about us, because we would botch it up every time. You love us so much, you look after us from start to finish. We praise you. We thank you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, we get to be humble because our salvation is by grace through the merit of another, Christ Jesus, not of ourselves, lest we should boast. We get to be secure because our salvation is not based upon our good works but it's based upon the merit of another. The perfect excellence of Jesus Christ.
as God's people, it's our obligation to live in humility and in security and thereby testify to the truth of our salvation in Christ Jesus. Our Father, we thank you and praise you. Your salvation to us is, is a reality that is virtually impossible to describe with enough human superlatives. So we won't try. We will simply say, Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior, period. In Jesus' name, amen.